something a little bit deeper behind what uh, the turmoil that we have seen happening here in our city over the last 13 months. I think to me what it has been is that for these last months, what we have seen is an overwhelming fear been released in the hearts and the minds of people within our city. This kind of fear is something that um, to me is something I've never really experienced before in my lifetime. It's been a paralyzing fear. It's a very specific fear. And the fear that we have seen is the fear of death being released into the hearts and minds of those in our city. You know, we live in a city where the vast majority of men and women and children right now are paralyzed by the possibility of dying. And adding to that, not only are they terrified of themselves dying, they're terrified of being the cause of somebody else possibly losing their life. It's a narrative that we've seen over and over again uh, throughout the news cycle as almost every single day when they give the daily report, what do they mention? They mention those that have lost their lives due to COVID-19. And it's, it's brought a great deal, a deal of fear into people's lives. Recently, a friend of mine was telling me how they were with uh, a group of children and the children were about six to eight years old. And uh, one of the children kept pulling off their mask. And, and of course, uh, in this environment anyway, they had to be wearing a mask, whatever the environment was. And at one point, the six-year-old child pulled their mask off completely to which another six-year-old child started screaming at them, you're killing us. You're going to kill us. You're going to kill us. Now think about that for a minute. How heartbreaking is it that a six-year-old would have such a great fear over another six-year-old simply pulling off their mask for a few minutes? The reality is it does actually make a little bit of sense, doesn't it? It actually does make sense to us. It's not surprising that this past year of lockdowns have exposed the great fear of death that our world lives under. You know, mankind has always feared death, but for the most part, they just simply try not to think about it. But whenever there's a situation like we're in right now, disease or a natural disaster or some sort of terrible thing that happens, it is brought to the surface again as people's fears are renewed in their minds as well. You know, it's interesting in the book of Hebrews, scripture tells us that it is the fear of death that holds men and women in bondage. Hebrews 2.15 says, and to deliver them uh, who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. The fear of death brings bondage to people. It is an enslaving fear because all of us know as humans that there is no escaping it. And that is the reality that our world is in today, that every single one of us is going to come face to face with our mortality. And typically what we understand is that it doesn't always happen on our timetable. But we are not of the world, are we? We're Christians today. And as Christians, our mindset towards death is different. It is not a mindset of fear But as born-again believers, we can say with the Apostle Paul in Philippians 1.21, where he said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In 1 Corinthians 15.55, he said, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says, I don't want you to be ignorant, he says. I would have not you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not. Of course, he's talking about those that have died when he says asleep there. He says that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. Meaning as Christians, we have hope. Those of us that have placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, death does not have a hold on us. There is no terror in our hearts because when we look at our inevitable end, for us, it is not a scary unknown future, but it is the moment that we are ushered uh, into the presence of God in eternal glory. See, we can say with the church in Corinth as they received the letter from Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, where he says, but we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. 
Now, this is not to say that we as Christians have some sort of strange fascination with death. Not at all. What it is, is it is a quiet confidence that recognizes that because our Savior defeated death on the cross, we ourselves will one day live in glory with him for eternity. And so on Easter Sunday, each year, what we do is we take some time to step back and remember the power of our God the power of the resurrection, how he has defeated death, and how we then as Christians have confidence in the power over our sin, and we can rest in the fact, and we can have joy, and we can have peace that he loves us, and that because of his love, it is possible for us to spend eternity with him. You see, Jesus Christ truly is our living hope. Well, let's take our Bibles to Mark chapter 16 is where we're going to be today as we're going to continue uh, from my intro just a few minutes before there. Um, but in Mark chapter 16, uh, we come to the uh, message of the resurrection. We come to that moment of the empty tomb being found. Now, the, the passages previous to that or the chapters previous to that in Mark chapter 14 and 15, what we see is we see the betrayal and the rejection of the Savior. We also notice how the disciples at that time uh, ran in fear. And those chapters, as you would study through them in Mark 14 and 15, what you would notice is uh, we, we would see the mock trial of Jesus Christ. Uh, we would see the great injustice as he was placed in the hands of Pilate. And uh, we would see that dark backdrop of the cross and the brutal crucifixion, his death and his burial of Jesus you know, as Christians, sometimes it's hard for us to read those. If you really begin to understand the suffering and the difficulty that Jesus went through, it's hard for us to understand that and to look at it as we recognize his great sacrifice for us. To those disciples that had been with him for those last few years of ministry, it would have been overwhelming as Pilate was the one who verified his death. They would have been so hopeful, you got to think about it, because in the last 24 hours, Jesus had fulfilled some 20 prophecies in just the last 24 hours. They would have been hopeful, they would have been expected, they would have been waiting for this great uh, thing to happen. Their hopes and dreams, you have to remember, have been wrapped up in the life of Jesus, but now we see his body being wrapped up in those grave clothes. It certainly seemed to them like the end had arrived. But then we join the narrative in Mark chapter number 16. We know already from chapter 14, verse 50, that a number of his disciples had already left him. They had forsaken him. Uh, they had gone into hiding, fearing for their own lives. But in the middle of this dark time of confusion, this time of discouragement, there were a group of people who demonstrated unexpected love and unexpected courage during this time. Of course, there was Joseph of Arimathea willing to give up of his tomb for uh, the, 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 the dead savior at that moment. There was Nicodemus, of course, who was willing to step outside of his own comfort zone in his life to speak up and to be a part. But then there was also a faithful group of women that followed Jesus. And that's where we pick up the story with those women in Mark chapter 16 and verse number one. I'm gonna read the first three verses. It says, and when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, had bought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. And they said among themselves, who shall roll away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? It would have been dark that morning and those, as those women gathered together and got these spices that they had spent, I'm sure, a great deal of money on. And as they headed towards the tomb, they did not know what to expect. Well, I guess they expected that there would be a tomb. <laughs> they expected that there would be a dead body that they would anoint and that they would uh, uh, care for at that moment. But we see them heading uh, to the tomb with the purpose and for the purpose of anointing the body again in the grave. 
Now, we know from other texts that Christ's body had already been taken down. It had already been prepared and uh, it had been prepared for burial before it was wrapped in linen cloths. And so these women, what they were planning on doing was not coming in and, and, and doing any more embalming or wrapping the body. What they were doing was just to add a final uh, layer of perfume on the body to mask the smell of decom- uh, decomposition. It was not, understand, it was not a necessary action for them to do this. However, what we notice is that it was a final act of respect and love from these women who cared so much for Jesus. Grief and sorrow and hopelessness would have followed them as they made their way to the tomb. On top of it all, as we saw in the verse here, they were wondering, uh, they wanted to go and do this thing for uh, the body of Jesus, but at the same time, they didn't know who was going to remove the stone that was there. It was an obstacle. We know that there would have been guards that were placed at the tomb. I'm sure they had heard about that as well. There would have been a stone, probably some 1,000 pounds at least, that would have been blocking the entrance to the tomb. And they were not wrong in wondering how they were going to get through it. If you can imagine, the typical method of sealing a tomb was difficult. See, what they would do, uh, not difficult, but it was hard to open again, and that was for a purpose. There would be a sloped, um, a sloped trench that the stone would be put in, so that way when it was rolled over in front of the tomb, it would be very difficult to open at all. It would have taken many, probably upwards of 10 to a dozen strong men to be able to move that stone out from the front of the tomb, and these few women who went there recognized that this would be an obstacle to their plan, but yet here we see them going to the tomb. They wanted to do their best to honor him in the only way that they knew how. Now, this right here is a powerful testimony to us as Christians today. What a challenge to us to be willing to be people that would dedicate our time and our resources and our lives to bring honor and respect to the name of Jesus Christ. Sure, like these women, there are obstacles to that that may be ahead of us, but the fact remains that it is possible for us to bring honor and glory to God in our own unique way. And that's what we see these women doing, going there and doing whatever it is that they can uh, and, and through their actions, revealing their love for him. Listen, even a small child can live their life bringing glory to the Lord God. And so these women came this morning and they wanted to show uh, the love that they had for the Lord. But as they arrived to the tomb, their world in that moment was about to be turned upside down because the very obstacle that they were expecting when they got there was not there when they arrived in verse number four. And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away. And then they add in the detail for it was very great. They got there and they recognized that the stone had been rolled away from the opening. Now, try to wrap your mind around what it would have been like when they arrived at the tomb this morning when the stone was rolled away. Now, we know from other passages, uh, Matthew's account tells us that there was an earthquake and an angel rolled it away. So we know some things had happened before they got there, but they were talking amongst themselves. What are we going to do with the the tomb? How are we going to open it up? And they get there and they see that it's already open. I'm sure they could hardly believe what they were looking at. I don't know if they first, you know, the first one to, with good eyesight was like, hey, I think the tomb is open. Nah, of course it's not open. You're just, you're, you can't really tell. And as they got closer and they could see that, yes, in fact, the, the, the tomb was open. I'm sure their first thoughts were that someone had stolen the body. I'm sure they were concerned and worried that uh, somebody had been tampering with the body or that there had been been some sort of uh, issue that had happened. And so they started to run, I'm sure, when they saw the open tomb and they went and they went inside. And when they got there, they were greeted by an unexpected figure. We see that in verse number five. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment. And look what happens is they were affrighted. They were scared. (laughs) 
From the other gospel accounts and the descriptions, we understand that this was one of the two angels that were there at the tomb. And it's understandable. You go into a, a sepulcher, you expect to see a dead body, and there's a young guy wrapped in a white cloth, and he's just sitting there on the side. I'm sure it would have been uh, kind of shocking to them. And we see here that they, in fact, were afraid. I always like to wonder how I would have responded in that moment. And I think I probably would have had a, a little bit of a problem, a little bit of a panic attack. And that's why what happens next is so powerful. Look what the angel explains to them. And when he does explain to them, we get to our first point this morning, which is we see here how the angel explains the message of the empty tomb. Point number one today, the message of the empty tomb. Look at verse number six. And he saith unto them, be not afraid. He said, they come in, they're scared. He says, don't be scared. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. And I love this right here. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place. He says, take a look here where they laid him. They walk in and this angel says, you don't have to be afraid at all. I want you to know something, ladies. He is risen. See for yourself. That's why he says, take a look where he is. See for yourself. He is not here. Now, I love to be the one to put myself into scripture and try to imagine what it would have been like to experience these Bible stories as we walk through them. And I cannot imagine what it would have been like to experience this situation and not only experience it and to, to know what it means, but to actually understand the implications of what they had just seen. See, what this angel had said to them that day carried a lot of weight. It was groundbreaking. In fact, we know it to be something that was going to be world-changing, the fact that this angel declared that he is risen. He is risen. And with that statement, that's something that we've been celebrating and remembering for some 2,000 years. But what does it really mean? When the angel said to those women, he is risen, what does it actually mean for us? What are the implications of the risen Savior? I'm going to list just a few of them for you right now. It's important for us as Christians to remember the implications of the fact that Jesus is risen. Well, we know that because he is risen, it tells us he is God. It tells us that Jesus is God. It tells us then that our sins truly are forgiven. And that other portions of scripture that talk about how our debt has been paid, it means that it's true. It means that God loves us. It means that the gospel is a fact. It means that our lives then can have meaning and our lives can have purpose. It means that what we preach, the message that we share, it is not a message that is in vain. It tells us that God is the one who keeps his word and fulfills his promises and fulfills his prophecies. It tells us that Jesus did in fact defeat death and hell and the grave. And what it also tells us is that yes, in fact, a person can be saved by faith in that same Jesus who defeated death and hell and the grave. It means that we as Christians today can trust his promises to us. And it means that we can live for him because he lives for us. Listen, because of the cross, we can say like in Hebrews 7.25, that he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. What does that mean? It means that because he is risen, he is alive, that he can save anyone. He can save any person that comes to him. The apostle Paul really clarified the impact of the empty tomb in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 22. And I'm going to read that for you here. Maybe you've got your Bible or right there in the app in the, in the chat. In fact, you can click on Bible and you can go to this passage. But 1 Corinthians 15, and I'll read verse 12 through 22. Paul says, now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? And then here's where he gets to the point. He says this. He says, but if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? 
And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God. He says, we're, we're false. We're not even legitimate because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up. If so, be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, and ye are yet in your sins." Then they also which are asleep in Christ are perished. He says, those that have died before, it was for nothing. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now, he says, is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came, uh, by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Listen, church, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the baseline for our faith. If there is no savior, if there is no resurrection, then there is no salvation. You know, when you go shopping, uh, you know, you get a receipt. Now this morning uh, for our family, uh, it's a tradition uh, that was my wife's tradition that we've adopted all these years that we have pancakes on Easter morning. And unfortunately my wife is still not back uh, yet. And so she said, you gotta get pancakes for the boys. And so guess what I did as a good dad? I ordered pancakes from McDonald's, right? Those are the best pancakes that are out there. And uh, this morning I ordered a bunch of pancakes and I got the receipt with me here to prove it today. Uh, now, here's the thing about a receipt, right? Now, a receipt um, validates that I made the purchase, right? It is something that validates that the transaction that happened between me and the store was accurate. Now, I do want to mention this morning that though there is a nice stamp here that says uh, verified, there's a little stamp that says verified by, and then there's like a line there. Uh, no, one, uh, no one signed it, by the way. But even though it says it was verified, I want you to know that my hash brown was missing. And so I just want to put that out there. And so guess what? My son, he scanned the barcode on there and that says, we want to hear from you. And he put in a survey and said, our hash brown was missing. He couldn't have done that unless he had this receipt proving that a transaction had been made, that we had ordered these certain things, but we actually didn't receive them. You say, what are you, what are you trying to say, pastor? Here's what I'm trying to say. As Christians today who are bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, the payment for our salvation has been paid in full when Jesus died on the cross. But here's what I want you to get. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the receipt proving that the transaction took place. The resurrection is the thing. He could have died, but if there was no resurrection, there's no way to prove that what he did on the cross was sufficient for your sins and for my sins, not at all. But because we have the resurrection, it is the receipt and it is, the, it is God's receipt for the payment of our sin. Now, our enemy and our sinful world, they know this. That's why since the very beginning, ever since he was resurrected from the dead, there have been those that have argued against that. Since this time, people have tried to diminish the influence of the resurrection. They've been trying to claim that uh, there was no resurrection, that the body was stolen, or that Jesus was simply in a coma, or that he swooned and, and, you know, and then later on woke up. And, and I want to just debunk a couple of those right, uh, right for us today, because I think we're missing out on the fact that uh, Jesus' body was guarded by Roman guards, trained killers. I think if we brought in those Roman guards and said, oh, you guys just missed it. He was just asleep. I think they, they might, might kill you. I don't know. They might be offended at those claims saying that they didn't know a dead body when they saw one. Of course, we know there was a claim that others had come in and robbed you know, the, the, the body and taken him from the grave, but it, most certainly they would have been produced 
That body would have been produced by his enemies should, uh, or when the story of the resurrection started going around. And then, of course, there's a story that his disciples stole the body to prove something. But I got to tell you, that doesn't hold uh, much as well because they most certainly wouldn't have given up their lives just to keep a prank going, just to keep some sort of lie going. The only reasonable explanation is that Jesus is who he said he was that he was God manifest, revealed in the flesh, who gave up his life and willingly paid sin's penalty for us, the innocent dying for the guilty. That is the full expression of God's love for us. These women who were there at the tomb were not looking at a crime scene. (laughs) They were looking and they were, uh, the body of Jesus was missing because he had walked right out of that tomb. The one who died for us now lives for us as well. And that is the message of the empty tomb a message that we as believers must never forget. And the angel shared that good news with them. And he said, he's not here. I want you to take a look. This is where he was, but he is gone. But he also gave the women then one more instruction. He said, he's not here. We see the message of the empty tomb, but I want you to see, secondly, the mandate of the empty tomb or the instruction, the commission of the empty tomb. Look at verse number seven. He said, but go your way and tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him as he said unto you. The angel here concluded his message to the women and he gives them an assignment that not only was for them in that moment, but an assignment that continues for us today to go and tell, to tell the other disciples here and specifically to let his followers know that Jesus is alive and that they will see him again. He also gives a special uh, mention here to Peter. I think that's such a great detail that uh, the angel included to go and make sure you tell Peter. Remember, Peter was the one uh, who had denied Jesus Christ. I'm sure he was broken by his rejection of Christ. I'm sure he was in fear. He was feeling like nothing could ever make that right again. And the message to him was that not all is not lost. Jesus is alive. And if he's alive, then there's a possibility for restoration, which we know, of course, that happened. But for these women, you got to recognize they came to this tomb with broken hearts hearts. They came with shattered dreams. They came with sorrow over what had taken place, but they left that morning with their hearts and their minds filled with joy and with peace and with a mission and with a message that they needed to complete, that they would go and tell the other disciples, tell the other followers of Christ who were hiding in fear that Jesus is alive. They were the first ones to take it to the disciples and then later on to the world, of course. Jesus, we know, later affirmed this in uh, Mark chapter 16 and verse number 15, when he appeared to the disciples, the 11 disciples, Jesus affirmed this when he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Verse 15 there is a verse we know so well. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. The message that was first to be delivered to the disciples was then to be delivered to the world. And as Christians today, those of us that have accepted and experienced the power of the resurrection personally, our call is the same thing, to share and to tell others about the good news, to be like the early church in Acts chapter eight and verse number four, that even in the middle of great persecution and even in the middle of great difficulties, it says they were scattered abroad and they went everywhere preaching the word. What was the word that they preached? They preached the gospel, the good news of Christ's death, his burial, but primarily the good news of his resurrection, that he had defeated death death and how through that it revealed his great love for mankind. Now listen, the cross was an ugly scene. It was an ugly scene, but it served as the canvas where God painted a portrait of his love for us. 
And the empty tomb today is a fitting and a beautiful ending to the horror that was on the cross. You know, the assignment that's been given to us as individual believers is to share the message of the empty tomb, to share and to be used of God to tell those without Christ how they can be saved through Christ. It was the first assignment given to them, and it is an assignment that continues even today. You know, this morning, church, we praise God and we glorify him for the empty tomb, for the resurrected Savior, for his power over death. And we do not need to fear because we, like those early church leaders, when those ladies came and ran to them and said, he is risen, that they responded. As we know, history tells us they would have responded with, he is risen indeed, when they understood what had taken place. But I recognize this morning that there may be some of you who are watching today that have never experienced the power of the empty tomb. You yourself have never found the hope that is seen in the resurrection. You are still uh, living in great fear. Maybe for some of you, this year has been one of the most anxiety-filled years of your life based off of what everything that has been going on around the world. Can I ask you this morning, would you allow the truth of God's word, the truth of the resurrection to roll away the stones of doubt and of fear and of sin from your life? And would you trust in Jesus Christ today? Because here is the truth. Because Jesus is alive, you can trust him. He did, in fact, die for your sin. Romans 10, 9 tells us that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and thou shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, he gives us a definitive statement, thou shalt be saved. There is no doubt today that if you would turn in faith, that you would leave behind your own attempts at salvation or of good works and you would repent of the sin that is in your heart and you would recognize that you cannot save yourself and you would trust by faith in Christ's sacrifice for you and his power over death for you, the Bible tells us that you can, in fact, be saved. That means that you can live for eternity in heaven with God. That means that what you have outside of this life is so much better than you have right now. What that means as a Christian is that uh, this life is the worst that it's ever going to get. I'll tell you, for those who don't know Christ, this is the best it's ever going to get. And if you would trust in Christ today, you can be saved. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 tells us that the wages of our sin is death. That is not only physical death here on this earth, we know that comes to everyone, but that's spiritual death. That's eternal separation from God. That is the wage. That is the earning of your sin. But it says here so amazingly, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is a gift that is extended to you today. The only thing that is necessary for you to receive that free gift is simply to accept it, to believe in what Jesus has done. Salvation is a gift. It was a gift that has been paid for you by Christ's death on the cross. It is secured and it is proven in the resurrection. And I want to ask you today, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, would you accept him today? Would you be saved today? If that's you this morning, I want to ask you, would you reach out to us on the, the live chat there? There should be a link that you can click on that says, find out more about salvation, or you can reach out to uh, one of the, the, the uh, members of our host team by just clicking on request to pray, or there's another option up at the very top that you can get connected with us. You can even go and read on our website more about salvation. But listen, would today, would you accept Jesus Christ? Would you turn to him by faith 
Maybe you've been putting it off. Maybe today you're here and you're searching for that. You want to know what is all about the resurrection? What is it about Easter? What, are, what is this all about? It's about the resurrected Savior and that because he lives, because he lives, it proves that his sacrifice on the cross was enough for my sin. Salvation is such a gift. Church family, I wonder, are you today living in the power of the resurrection? Are you living in an understanding of the message of the empty tomb? Are you following the mandate of the empty tomb? Are you a vehicle by which God can use to share his truth with others? Or have you, like many in our society today, been living yourself in great fear? You won't have to look very far to find somebody who needs the message that we've talked about today. And the question is, is are we being used by God to tell others about the saving power of Jesus Christ? Are we instruments in his hand to be used to roll away those stones of doubt to expose the truth of Jesus Christ? Listen up, church. Jesus is alive today. He is risen and death is no longer to be feared. For a few minutes this morning, we're going to take just a few minutes here and we're going to have a time of reflection. Some music's going to play. We'll have a few verses. In fact, the gospel is going to be on the screen today. Verses that tell you and affirm what we've talked about today about salvation. I want to ask you, if you're not saved, would you take those few moments and would you reach out to us in the chat? Would you reach out to us and reach out to our hosts and just say, hey, I need to be saved. We'd love to set up a phone call or video chat or something with you and talk with you about that today. I'll point you in the right direction and get you some resources. And I want to encourage you to make that decision. If you're a Christian today, would you maybe take a moment there in your home or wherever you're watching and just say, God, would you help me to remember, first of all, and be thankful and celebrate the message of the empty tomb. What a great thing it is, man. We lose so often, we forget the power of the resurrection. And would you trust in God today in that? Would you by faith walk? And then would you remember the mandate of the empty tomb, which is we need to be telling others about the gospel. Maybe you can do that by simply sharing the message that you've heard today, by reaching out to a friend or a family member and saying, hey, do you know Christ as your savior? Say, man, it's so uncomfortable for me. I get it, it is uncomfortable. It's a, the gospel is a confrontational truth. And the reason is because it causes a person to really reflect on their own heart. And Stephanie's testimony was such a blessing to me at how she had been confronted with the reality of Jesus Christ after so many years of atheism. And if God can save her, and if God can save you, then most certainly he can save those friends and family members of yours that are resisting right now. We hope that today's message was a help and encouragement to you in your walk with God. To stay connected with us, give us a like on Facebook or follow us on Instagram at Van City Baptist. Our prayer is that God will grow and bless you as you pursue His will for your life.